Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host, Tracy Collins. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast entitled The Latest Tax Proposals and Their Potential Impact on Nonprofits. With me today are two individuals from KeyBank who will help us sort through some of the key facts within the proposed plan. Tina Myers, Director of Financial Planning, and Cindy McDonald, National Director of Philanthropic Advice. Tina has been providing planning and tax guidance to individuals for almost 25 years, and Cindy has been advising nonprofits for almost 30 years, so we have a lot of experience with us today. Welcome, Tina and Cindy. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to have you both. And this is certainly a timely topic and one that I think has everyone, individuals, corporations, and not-for-profits, not just concerned, but I think somewhat confused. You know, there's been so much information, misinformation, and predictions around Biden's plan that I'm not sure anyone really understands what these changes could mean to them. And while we can't address everything in the plan during today's discussion, let's hone in on the key points in the plan that could affect nonprofits and their donors. And let's start on the donor side. So Tina, at a very high level, can you share with us some of the key points in the Biden tax proposal that would affect charitable planning for individuals? I sure can, thanks Tracy. Um, and I'm happy to be sharing some of these thoughts today. Uh, so top of mind, I think, is the potential increase in the preferential capital gains rate. So. If you remember, our long-term capital gains and our qualified dividends are taxed at a lower rate. And it's usually, right now, it's like 0%, 15%, or 20% at the highest. Um, But Biden wanted to increase that rate to be the um, top ordinary income tax rate for those that had over a million dollars. So it could have been as high as 39.6%. The negotiations going on in Congress right now, I guess, as, as we speak, We're not really sure where that's going to land, but I don't think it's going to be as high as 39.6. I think it's going to end up somewhere, I think, um, maybe 25%. So the impact of that, though, would be that um, donors would probably um, make more gifts of appreciated capital assets to charities instead of um, recognizing those gains themselves. So that's, uh, that's one big change. Another big change that um, Biden was proposing, he originally wanted to cap itemized deductions um, and and limit them to like, I don't know if it was like 28% of itemized deductions. I know that one did not make it through in the latest um, House Ways and Means Committee proposal that was out on September 13th. That one in particular would have further limited um, your charitable donations. And if you can remember a couple of years ago, you know, they increased the standard deduction. Um, and when they did that, that meant there were a lot of less people that were actually, you know, itemizing their deductions that would get a benefit from their charitable gifts. You know, that would have placed more, um, you know, limitations on those charitable uh, gifts there. So again, good thing it's gone. It's not even, you know, being talked about anymore. Um, another big one too was this thing that uh, Biden called a uh, deemed realization event. And this one would actually trigger recognizing a capital gains tax if someone gifted an appreciated asset upon death or just in transfer. There was um, an exception, though, for gifts that were made to charity, which is great for charity side of things because that would have been horrible. The one part I think that people were afraid of 
regarding charities was that it could affect split interest trusts. Um, so a split interest trust is one where you know you have a non-charitable beneficiary and a charitable organization benefiting uh, for a period of time, and that's the one that uh, I guess they were thinking that the deemed realization could impact that. Not particularly the portion that went to charity, but the portion of the gift that was for the non-charitable beneficiary could have been subject to realization at that time. And so it's a um, good thing that I don't think that one has it into the September 13th um, House Ways and Means proposal. So I don't think that one is going to show up anymore. Hopefully that one is gone for right now. I don't, don't think it'll um, show up again, hopefully. And then... Um, Something that actually wasn't in the Biden pr proposal, but I think it's very important to um, you know charitable organizations, is something called the Accelerating um, Charitable Efforts Act, or they call it ACE, um, ACE. Uh, it was pat it was proposed in June of 2021, and it impacts donor advised funds. And I know I've seen a lot of clients. Um, using donor advised funds in the last couple of years when they, because of the change in, you know, the standard um, deduction and things like that. So the impact of this one would be that, you know, the big appeal of the donor advised fund is that clients can make a gift in a current year, but they may not know exactly what organization they want to benefit yet, but they get their tax deduction in that year that they make the gift. And then maybe like over the next couple of years, they dole out the money in grants to different charitable organizations. So it's like a mismatch of the time of like when you get your deduction and when the organization actually pays out the money to charity. Well, apparently they don't like that mismatch there, and they actually want to kind of say that the donor can't get a deduction until the um, donor-advised fund actually doles out the money to the charitable organization. So, And then there's also something uh, that they said for like really large uh, donor-advised accounts that are over like a million dollars. They want to do kind of like how private foundations have a minimum distribution requirement. They want to impose a, a 5% distribution requirement there. And then they want to limit donor advised funds, you know, if they're in place for a really long time, like 15 or 50 years or something like that. They want to be able to put an excise tax on those undistributed funds there because they, they don't know. They haven't been around that long, so I don't know why they're thinking 15 or 50 years. But anyway, um, I think that's pretty much it. That's the high-level overview of the possible changes, I think. Well, Tina, if that's a high level, I'd hate to see the low level. That's a <laughs> lot to digest. So, so Cindy, you know, should these potential changes affect how nonprofits interact with their donor base? I mean, are the conversations now with donors different? And is there a priority as to which donor to reach out to first to have these conversations? Right. That's a great question. And I'm happy to talk to you about it today. So it's really not so much as a different conversation, but more enhanced and knowledgeable conversations. So nonprofits, they know their donors. And for those donors that tend to make more complex gifts, I think they are sharing with you, they're sharing with the not-for-profits, their overall strategy and intent on their philanthropic planning so that you know, the not-for-profit, the types of programs that resonate with them as donors, what, what they wish to see that they use their funds for. So sometimes it's not always about the tax deduction, which is scary because of all that's coming down to play, but sometimes the most important thing to the donor in their family is how what impact they're making for the not-for-profits. So I think one of the biggest things that um, conversations that not-for-profits can have literally is to, in, to make sure that their donors, if they're looking and thinking about complex gifting before the end of the year or into next year, that they really need to start having these conversations with their advisors. 
However, on the flip side of that, in speaking with not-for-profits, not only across the country, but different sectors, so your healthcare, your arts and culture, or community-driven organizations, the conversations are very much the same of late. And that's, they're sitting back and they're saying, oh my gosh, how are these tax proposals that this new administration is creating going to affect charitable planning and giving? You know, we're doing budgets right now. Is that going to affect an income stream for us? So I know it depends is such not a solid answer, but it truly depends on the donor's financial situation and the types of assets that they're looking to gift, such as immediate gifts of highly appreciated stocks, or are they going to plan out a gift that's planned gifts, such as a charitable lead trust or a type of remainder trust? So as major gift officers, having an understanding of what is actually being proposed by the administration will do nothing but help further your conversation and possibly solidify that gift. So your donor will feel more confident in making that gift, knowing that you understand the impact that this administration is possibly proposing, not only on the donor side, but the not-for-profit side too. Well, I can say that in my conversations with my clients who have been charitably inclined uh, in the past, they're just trying to figure out, much like you said, Cindy, what is the best gifting strategy um, if the tax plan passes? You know, they still want to give, but now more than ever, they really want to understand the tax implications of these gifts. And we've talked about different strategies, but let's go back to simplistic. So is cash still the best strategy? Is highly appreciated stock still the best strategy? And is it maybe a disconnect between what donors want to give and what nonprofits want to receive? I mean, and Tina, why don't you start from the, the donor side? What now under the proposed plan might be the best type of gift to give? Is it the cash or the highly appreciated stock from a donor perspective? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Um, it, 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 you're right. It depends because a donor uh, could um, have cash um, appreciated assets or some other like weird type of non-cash asset that they want to give. Um, I actually just listened to a webinar a couple of weeks ago about um, charitable gifting of non-cash assets. And there are some really strange things that, you know, clients just say they want to give to charity as long as the charity will accept it. But um, especially in today's environment, and I, over the past year, I've run a number of different projections for this. The big question is, you know, do I give cash um, in 2021, if I give cash to a public charity, I get a 100% um, adjusted gross income limitation. Before, um, years prior, well, actually prior to 2020, it was a 60% of adjusted gross income limitation. And then other than that, you got to carry over any unused charitable deduction for the next five years. But if you get a 100% deduction in 2021, if it's cash, I mean, sometimes that's way better than giving an appreciated asset that you can only take up to 30% of your adjusted gross income and then carry it forward for five years and risk not being able to use all of that charitable carryover in that five-year time period. So I've seen a couple of scenarios where we ran a couple of numbers and we did some things where, you know, do you sell the capital asset, the stock or something like that first, give cash, or do you give cash? And, and you know, each situation is different. You just have to, you know, run a couple of different scenarios and, and see what works out best for them. Depending on, like, like I said, it depends on their adjusted gross income. Maybe they have one huge, you know, one big year that they're trying to offset the charitable deduction, and then other future years will be lower. And then, like I said, they may end up wasting some of that future deduction. So that's what I'm seeing for right now. I don't know, Cindy, if you're seeing 
anything different on the nonprofit perspective? No, I think you nailed it exactly right, um, Tina. That's that's pretty much exactly what I'm hearing from our you know clients and our plan giving officers. Great. So, so Tina, I want to go back to something that you had talked about earlier, and that was the donor advised funds and the split um, interest gifting strategies. And I want to really hone in on um, the impact of the Biden tax plan on, on these types of strategies. So if I understood you correctly, you had said these will not only still be viable for future donations, but there's not going to be any impact on structures that are currently in place as well. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And I guess I'll tackle um, each one of them separately. And so let's talk about the deemed realization one first. Um, deemed realization would have impacted split interest gifts, so gifts to charitable remainder trusts, lead trusts, and things like that. Again, not did not make it through that current House proposal. But again, it would have caused an income tax realization event at the time that the gift was made on the non-charitable portion of the gift. Maybe that's not what the original intent was when the original writers of this came up with this so-called deemed realization. They just kind of said, oh, we'll just, you know, when somebody transfers something, we want to make it a realization event, not knowing that there's this thing, you know, out here called split interest trust that, you know, all these charitable organizations, you know, came to the forefront and said, no, this would not be good for us. So anyway, so that that's off the table now. And I don't even know if that would have had that much of an impact because um, there was also a like a $1 million per person exclusion on this like unrealized capital gains that could have been, you know, portable to another spouse. So you had to have somebody who had a significant, you know, gift that they wanted to make, you know, using a charitable remainder trust. So it won't affect any existing um, clients that have um, a charitable remainder trust or something like that already in place. It would have just affected future gifts to a split interest um, vehicle. So for right now, like I said, off the table, it's pretty good um, for our donor organizations there. So let's talk about the donor advised funds. Um, so that was the other proposed change. Again, it's not part of the Biden proposal, but it was in some other um, proposal earlier this year. And that's all about matching the deduction with when that charitable organization distributes the money um, to those charities. It will not affect if somebody has a donor advised fund in place with an organization right now. Um, it would affect, it would probably grandfather those. It would affect you know, future gifts that are made to a donor advised fund where you wouldn't be able to get your deduction maybe immediately until the organization actually paid it out. So good thing, like a good thing is none of this, I've never seen anything that actually impacts, you know, existing, whatever, you know, split interest trust or donor advised funds. It's always going to be prospective gifts that they're going to affect. Well, I think, you know, a lot of donors are confused about what to do right now. You know, um, so many are almost frozen to the point of not doing anything. You know, do I wait until I know what the tax plan is? Do I make a gift under the current tax plan and hope that, it, you know, that the tax implications aren't changed by the new tax plan because there has been talk about it being retroactive? So, Tina, what are your thoughts? I mean, should donors really wait until the Biden tax plan is finalized or should they still try to do some of their gift giving prior to year end? Hmm. Well, I, I don't think they should wait until the very last minute. Definitely have an initial, initial plan in place 
um, but allow for some flexibility to change quickly if you need to. Um, I know Cindy mentioned this when you're, you know, make sure that they're talking to those uh, planned giving departments and your advisors, you're running the numbers already. If you plan on doing something like a split interest gift or anything where you're going to have to transfer, uh, you know, do stuff with custodians and transfer assets and things like that, go ahead and get all that paperwork done now um, and have all your ducks in a row now so that come the end of the year, if we have clarity and we know that, you know, nothing's going to impact the structure of that gift you already have, you know, mostly in place, then you can pull the trigger and you're done with it. But if you wait until the very last minute, you're going to risk um, not being able to complete your transaction, you know, before the clock strikes midnight on December 31st. So I definitely would not wait. And, and Cindy, I'm sure quite a few development committees and finance committees are struggling with what to do and how to keep funding coming in as people are struggling with even to make their gifts and the timing of these gifts. So what can nonprofits do right now to encourage both immediate gifting as well as planned giving over time? And you know what? I'm having a lot of these conversations, Tracy. So you're right. Encouraging the conversation is always there. But what I'm hearing more is like truly backing it up and saying, they. and this is all like post-COVID. So this has come more into play ever since COVID has hit the, hit the economy, hit the world, quite honestly. It's understanding what's most important to the donor. Is it the tax deduction before year end or is it taking time to plan out the gift and see the impact that they'll be able to make for the programs and the missions of the organizations? So these major gift officers are out there talking to their donors and having these wonderful conversations. And to Tina's point, not doing it last minute, because if they do want to say they want to fund a charitable remainder trust, you can't do that December 20th. So having those conversations right now with their advisors and having these major gift officers encourage those conversations, because if they do want to create that planned gift, to Tina's point, it can't happen December 31st. There's a lot of steps that have to take place administratively. So if they know what that is and what the time is, the timing to actually fund a trust, say, or make a gift of stock, it will be much easier and much smoother. Um, in addition, though, I would have to say, naturally, there are advantages to gifting before year end. You know, everybody knows it. Tina actually just, you know, she just laid out a whole bunch of rules that's proposed. Um, but, you know, right now, so far, the gifts made are right now under current tax law. So whatever it is in play right now, so any gift made before 1231 is under current law. Um, but again, have it be flexible. And that's the conversations with their advisors so that if they do need to pivot before year end, they can. And at the end of the day, the most important steps organizations are taking right now is the stewarding of their donors. So sharing with them what your organization is doing to move forward and to grow and share the impact that this gifts that the gifts will make is incredibly important. It's you don't want that transactional gift as much as you want the transitional gift that the bigger gift that lasts much longer. Well, Cindy and Tina, there is definitely a lot in the proposed plan, and I feel in many ways we've only barely scratched the surface. We could probably fill up several podcasts with information and um, a direction for our listeners. But I know the listeners that, that have tuned in for us today, specifically on nonprofits, want to know what they can do right now. So Cindy, can you share with them some key takeaways, things that they can start doing with their donors now to address the current tax environment, as well as donor uncertainty? 
Absolutely. If they understand, so right now, go back to your donor base and understand, start internally, understand your donor base, review your database, start with your, your bigger donors and working down to your transactional donors, and then really concentrate on those that you know and you feel will, are going to make a large gift that have a tendency to do so before year end. Review the pending plans and gifts, revisit those conversations. You talked to Mr. Smith back in January and he was thinking of funding a trust. When's the last time you spoke to him? Why don't you go back and revisit that conversation and see, is he intending to do that before year end? Or is he looking to just say, you know what, I'm just gonna push it out to 2022. It's really important that they manage the, doer, the donors. And Tina, any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, I would say also um, in working with the planned giving uh, departments and things like that, um, like Cindy said, you know, it's, it's the um, impactful gift. It's not the one-time gift. If they wanted to make a gift, um, no matter what the law says, they're going to make that gift, whether or not they get a, a tax benefit for it. Um, the point of it would be that we just want to be able to advise clients and make sure that they are maximizing their giving ability. They're choosing the right asset, the right vehicle, the best timing for making it. So just despite the, the proposed changes and things like that, just make sure we're maximizing everything. Well, this has been a very enlightening and helpful discussion. I know that the information that you both shared will help our listeners navigate these uncertain times a little easier. And I'm also sure that when the plan is finalized, we'll invite you both back again to get your perspective. Um, thank you, Tina and Cindy, for joining us today. And to you, our listeners, for taking time out of your day to listen in. For those listening, if you'd like more information about the proposed Biden tax plan and its potential effect on charitable giving, We've included several attachments in the show notes for this podcast. And if you do have a specific question, there is also a URL that you can use to submit your question back to the KeyBank team. And as always, if you've enjoyed today's discussion, then please be sure to check out the other podcasts in the Key Wealth Matters series. Again, thank you for listening. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are offered by KeyBank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. KeyBank Private Bank and KeyBank Institutional Advisors are part of KeyBank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, member FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2021.